Hey, if you've nicked my glasses, thinking that means you don't get a sermon, I tell you, I'm so excited by what God's doing, I could self-combust, so I don't think, uh, uh, not having my glasses uh, probably won't do anything, unless I keep repeating myself. If I keep repeating myself, keep repeating myself, then remind me and help me move on to the next bit. All right, so uh, no glasses. God be uh, with us all. Here we go. Your story, my story, his story. If you weren't here last week, I'd urge you, perhaps more than normal, to listen uh, to the sermon, not because it was a great moment of oratory, but simply because I was trying to share with you what I believe the guts are for the journey that we're on through 2008. And uh, uh, I tried to lay some foundations for what our life together might be all about. So you can get it, www.bbcpodcasting.com. It'll be there. Never mind bbc.co.uk, some small corporation apparently. bbcpodcasting.com and it'll be there. Or get a CD at the back uh, and, uh, and catch up this week. People's stories, the stories of people's lives are all about lostness. That's how Jesus described them. And they're a million miles away from the story that we celebrated a moment ago, God's story of rescue. So how can we possibly make the connection then between uh, their story, their story on the one hand, and God's story on the other hand? Well, last week we uh, began to see how our story makes the connection between their story and God's story. But if we're going to make that connection, be part of it, if our story is going to help that connection, then we need to know God's story, which is what we're all about uh, this morning. Knowing God's story. This, the Bible, is a story. And it's God's story. How do all good stories begin? Once upon a time. And this story begins once upon a time. Once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. And so the greatest story that's ever been told, the story began to take shape. And like all good stories... Uh, There was a plot, a tension, something goes wrong, something needs to be put right, something overcome. And maybe that's why we like stories so much. Because the stories that we share are just little mirrors of the story that frames and defines the universe in which we exist. And so, just as in a story, after the once upon a time, we're waiting for the tension to be resolved, for the ending to come, so in this story of our lives, we're waiting for the tension to be resolved, the story to come to an end. And if a good story begins once upon a time, how does it end? And they all lived happily ever after. And it does. So once upon a time, right through to they all lived happily ever after, those in Christ. The greatest story ever told. The story, his story, history, quite literally. Uh, And it's amazing, if you've never thought about it, if you've ever wondered why people say, if you want to find out something significant about the meaning of life, this is a really essential place to go, it's this. 
because this book, written over a period of 1,500 years, written uh, by over 40 different authors across 40 generations, people with uh, all kinds of different backgrounds, Moses, a political leader, Peter, a fisherman, Amos, a herdsman, Joshua, a military general, Nehemiah, a cupbearer, Daniel, a prime minister, Luke, a doctor, Solomon, a king, Matthew, a tax collector, Paul, a rabbi, written in different places, sometimes in a wilderness, sometimes in a dungeon, sometimes up on a hillside, sometimes in prison, sometimes while traveling, written at different times, war and peace, in different moods, the pit of despair and the heights of ecstasy, written on three continents, Asia, Africa and Europe, something the US can't boast about, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek. And despite all of that, this story is unique in its unfolding one single story. From beginning to end, the once upon a time, right through to they lived happily ever after. This book is unique in its continuity over hundreds of different issues that affect our world and our lives today. And weaving throughout is this single story of God coming to rescue mankind. Promises made right back at the beginning to Abraham get filled in the last book, fulfilled in the last book of Revelation. Hey, if you're serious about sussing life, you can't afford not to look at this book because there's nothing quite like it. Two things, though, I want us to think about that come out of looking right at the beginning and looking at the end. Things that give us a clue about what this greater story is really all about. I live with someone who reads the last few pages of the story just to take the stress out of reading the whole thing. She goes on to read the whole thing, but it just kind of takes the pressure off. Now, whatever you think about that as a reading strategy, it is exactly the right thing to do when it comes to the story of our lives. You can take the biggest stress out of your life by reading the end of the story now. For all the sadness of these last days, there is a calm assurance in many of us because we've read the end of the story. We've read the end of the story. So what are the two things that immediately appear if you look at the beginning and at the end, given that we're now allowed to look at the end of this particular story? Well, you might want to follow it in the Bibles in front of you uh, or, or just uh, use the screen behind. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, we're right at the beginning of the, the Bible. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden and there he put the man he had formed. So where does the greatest story begin? Hello? It's this, this is basic comprehension, everybody. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east and there he put the man he had found. The greatest story ever told began in a garden. Now if it began in a garden, you might be asking yourself, where does it end? The very last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, I saw, said John, the holy city. The story that begins in the garden ends in a city. God gave us a beautiful garden and we messed it up and we brought misery into our lives, indeed misery into creation itself. But the story ends not in a restored garden, but in a magnificent city where if you read a bit more around those verses, there are many gardens with much fruit and splendour. 
It's amazing really, isn't it? Begins in a garden, we mess it up, and we end up in a magnificent city with many gardens. It's like you learning to drive, your parents give you a little mini, an old banger, and you trash it learning to drive, and you come home one day and it's totally wrecked, you still haven't passed your test, but they buy you a Merc. That's what this story is about. Outrageous generosity. Something you didn't earn or deserve. Something you couldn't earn or ever deserve. This outrageous generosity from God that is on every page. And we use a word to describe it. It's a, it's a churchy word, but hopefully now we're, we're getting to grips with it. The word is grace. The greatest story ever told is all about grace. God's outrageous generosity that we could not earn or deserve. Grace from beginning to end. God's story. The story of grace. Now many people out there think that the God of the Bible is harsh, is judgmental, is, a fl- is, uh, is full of kind of fiery, uncontrolled, burning anger. No. People who think that probably haven't read it and certainly don't understand it. It wasn't just when Jesus died on the cross, that pivotal moment when he bled literally grace for the world. Grace is on every page of this unfolding story. The outrageous generosity of God. It began in a garden, but it ends in a city. If it's all about grace... Then secondly, if you look at the beginning and the end, you'll also discover that it's all about Jesus. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image. Now whatever the original writer understood by his use of the the plural referring to God in that moment, whatever he meant, it is a reminder to us of something that we know to be true. That there back in the beginning... All of God was present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and active in creation. We remind ourselves of it at Christmas, don't we? In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. Jesus was there at the beginning. He's the radiance of God's glory, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. So the beginning of the story involved Jesus active in creation. But look also what we are told happened towards the beginning of the story. Adam and Eve, as we know, have rejected God. They've brought misery on themselves and uh, their, their world has fallen quite literally into the hands of Satan. And God addresses Satan and says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He will crush your head. There will be, said God, right back at the beginning, there will be someone born of woman, someone of your offspring, someone of flesh and blood who will deal the fatal blow to Satan and his kingdom and so rescue and liberate this world caught in his 
grip. There in Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning, we are introduced to what God will do in Jesus. And so, thousands of years later, we read that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Thank you. Hallelujah. The fatal blow. Jesus crushed his head. And if Jesus was talked about at the beginning, you'd not be surprised that he's there right at the end. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp, uh, sorry, and the lamb is its lamp. Who is at the very centre of this new city? By whose light will we walk beneath? Whose glory will we dwell? In whose book are our names? Jesus. Jesus. Here then is a story, the greatest story ever, that's all about grace from beginning to end, and it's all about Jesus from beginning to end also. If you want to share God's story, any snip of of it to anybody, if you're not talking about grace, and if you're not talking about Jesus, then you're probably missing the point. Grace and Jesus on every page. I wish we could track the, the, the journey of, of the bringing of Jesus in the fullness of time through the Old Testament. Maybe we'll do that in a Digging Deeper uh, sometime soon. So, greatest story. It's about grace and it's about Jesus. But what is the story? What is the story? Very simply, the story in three words that all of us can know and uh, remember. It's a bit like charades, isn't it? The first word. First word is design. Design. The fundamental truth is that God designed this world. And we see his design everywhere, don't we, in ordinary life. The detail of a flower, the beauty of nature, the sheer marvel of a human body. Hold a little baby and look at the ears and the eyes and the motor mechanisms that grip an offered finger. The tiny heart that patters away. Lungs so immediately capable of breath. A lungs that can blast air past vocal cords at such a rate. 60 trillion cells in this little bundle you are holding in your hands. Each cell, each of those 60 trillion cells containing more information than all the information in every university library in the world. So stunningly unique, with another 6,000 million distinct, separate and precise instructions making up its genetic code. We're not flukes or accidents, but made, created, designed. And in so doing, the designer gave of himself in what he had made. We're made in his image. He put his heart into it, his, his, his uh, stamp of approval, his love, his, uh, uh, oh, I don't know, who, who, who he is was, was just pushed into this creation that he knew and loved. Have you ever worked really hard on something, on designing something or making it, and you've been so proud of it? It's your baby, your creation. It's got your stamp all over it. Phil the foreman, uh, who uh, uh, was in charge of the church centre, was a great guy. And I still marvel at the way they built it. Remember one day it's pouring down with rain and all that was out there was a dirty, sort of rocky car park. And it was as if uh, at the beginning he goes, hey, we'll have a steel girder there and we'll have one there, one there, one there and one there. That's how it looked. I'm sure it was a bit more precise than that. And then he would bring this building 
to be level with our church where the floor is sloping to within two millimetres. How do you do that? I was just amazed by all that went into it. And I loved, I loved the way he showed people round. Because he was proud of it. And so he should be. He'd put his energy into it, his effort. He'd put his love into it, if you like. When part of it wasn't good, and sometimes it wasn't, he made the workman do it again. It mattered. This was his baby. This world was God's baby. He'd put his love into it, his passion, his heart into it. He owned it. He was proud of it. It was part of him. He said it was really, really good. Which makes the pain of what happened next all too real. We trashed it, his world. If the first word is design, the second word is destruction. We've been destroying God's world ever since. When you have starving kids and food mountains, hey, we've destroyed God's world. When destruction means that nation rises against nation, community against community, family against family, neighbours, friends against each other, against themselves. We've destroyed God's baby. No wonder the Bible says that the whole of creation is groaning, longing to be liberated from this destruction that we've wrought upon it. And soon after we read what are probably for me the saddest words in the whole of the Bible. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. The Lord was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And I guess, because we find ourselves now tainted and trapped, crippled by this disastrous disaster that is of our making, If God didn't love us so much and if this world wasn't his baby, if we weren't the apple of his eye, I guess that might just have been the end of the story. But no, it's a story about grace. What we didn't deserve and couldn't earn. It's a story about Jesus. So if God's first word is, it's the the words of God's story, if the first word is design and the second word is destruction, who wants to go for the third word? Any ideas? It's got to be a D, hasn't it? You know how sad I am. Deliverance. God's plan of deliverance. A plan that culminated in Jesus, his death and resurrection. His plan that is still being worked out in our lives. In Liz's life, do you hear it? The plan of rescue. In my life, the plan of rescue. In your life, the plan of rescue. This plan that will go on unstoppable in this world until the final credits roll when Jesus, the deliverer, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords comes back and wraps up the story, taking all those who have connected their story with his to be with him in a brand new world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So my question, I've only got one this morning and I've taken a while getting there. It's the glasses, you see. One question. Do you know? Do you know the story? I don't mean do you know it, because you, fair guess, if you've hung around here a little while, you'll know the story. It won't be completely unfamiliar with you, the things that I've just said. 
But I'm asking you, do you know it? Do you really know it? Is it your story? Have you made a personal connection with this story? Has your story connected with God's story so that your story and God's story are becoming one story? So taking these three words, do you know the reality of these things in your life, in your ordinary, everyday life? Are the truths behind these three words part of your experience? So, for example, do you know the thrill of being God's design? That above all the human stuff, whatever the human circumstances of your coming into this world, do you know that it was God who made you, who chose you, who loves you? That even if no person on earth was cheering your coming, God in heaven was standing to applause at the news of your arrival. Do you know the thrill of being designed by God, of your life being his creation, of being his baby? Yesterday we had a leadership team half day and we were just sharing at the beginning about uh, just 30 second snippets of our stories. And I asked people just in 30 seconds, what's the difference that God makes in your life? And for me I said the difference God makes in my life is that I know who I am. I know where I'm from, I know where I'm going, I know that I'm loved. I tell you, that's an absolutely magical way, not in, a, not in a witch's sense, don't email me and write to me and stuff. You know, it's just a fantastic way of living. So I know who I am. Do you know that you are God's design? And in that, have you discovered your shape, the particular way God has made you, and, and so because you understand how he made you, you know how he wants to use you. If if that's still a mystery to you, you must come on the ministry course that uh, Heather and Kerry are doing in a few weeks' time. If you haven't been on the maturity course, tough, because you need to do that first. But otherwise, ministry course, it's for you next. You've got to understand the shape that God's made you. Because there's nothing better than doing what God has made you for. It gets you out of bed in the morning, sends you to sleep with a song in your heart. You're his creation, his design, his baby. And until your story has connected with his story, I would dare to suggest to you that your story will never make sense. There will always seem like there's just something so huge that is missing. You're his creation. So do you know the thrill of being God's design? Design and then destruction. You see, do you know the truth of our own destruction? Do you know the truth of our own destruction? Do you know as a reality in your life, that doing your own thing leads to your own undoing. I thought about that myself. I was quite proud. <laughs> doing your own thing leads to your own undoing. Do you know that really in your life and in the choices that you are making? See, Adam and Eve put themselves first. They said, we don't need God. We're going to put ourselves first. We're going to do no longer God's thing. We're going to do our thing. And in doing that, they unleashed in their lives and in this world the destructive power that we see all around us. Now, has your story, story of your life, made the connection with that part of God's story? Or are you still, in parts of your life, doing your own thing and hoping against hope that you will flourish in it? 
Deep down, do you still think that God's way, that God's laws are miserable? That they're there to stop our fun and to kill our joy? God's ways out of date, out of favour, out of touch? Or are they the loving rules of a loving designer, creator to see us flourish as he intends? Or deep down, do we still think that we know best? When we uh, become parents, uh, and, uh, or when we were kids, first of all, and uh, our parents imposed stupid rules. Did your parents impose stupid rules? Liars. In our immaturity as children, we think we know best. Our immaturity, we think that the rules that our parents set have no point and no purpose. Unbelievably, there are people in my house that think like that sometimes. And you remember as a child, the rules making you angry, you chaff against them. You think they restrict your fun and hamper your pleasure and hold you back. Then we grow up and we have children of our own, and in our maturity, we impose the same or similar rules on our children. Revenge is sweet. (laughs) No, it isn't. Don't write to me about that either. You see, we impose the same rules on our children, believing that they release them to be themselves, not restrict them. That they harness their potential rather than hampering them. We impose these same rules on our children, believing that adherence to them will propel them forward in their flourishing and not hold them back. And we are sad when our children chaff against them, when our children uh, 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 are angry and we get frustrated that they cannot see the benefit of them and so on and so forth. And we're hurt when the rules we impose, our children would say, hey, you don't love me, you don't understand my needs, when we know we understand more than perhaps they'll ever understand, maybe one day. A few months ago, I had one of my times out with God. I say to everyone on the ministry team here, you must take half a day every month alone with God not to pray about a whole list of things, not to work your way through an agenda, but just to get out there and listen to what God wants to say to you, to your ministry, to your church, and whatever. So a few months ago, we're having a a, a pretty kind of difficult time. And uh, we were kind of struggling about our time. There seemed too much to do, not enough time to fit it in. Where where should we uh, uh, be, be looking to change things? Uh, alongside that, so our time's out of control, our money was out of control, we had a whole lot of unexpected bills, and you think, crumbs, what, what, what on earth can we do here? Uh, and a few other things, and you know, you get those, you get those times when everything just seems to crowd in. Uh, and you can't quite see which way to go, where are you going to turn, what are you going to do? And your days are, are, are full of anxious thoughts and stressful times and so on. We, we all know what I'm talking about. So I was really looking forward to this time out with God. Just to get out there, I need it, it refreshes me, it energises me. And in my experience, God always speaks. So, so there I am, really looking forward to my time out with God. I'm thinking, it's been such a rubbish while, you know, God's going to say nice, soothing things, he's going to encourage. And, and what. I hadn't got out of the car when God started giving me a right whipping. Oh, wow, really took my breath away. And God was saying, Simon, in all of this, you want to sit down and talk about your woes. I want to sit down and ask you, will you trust me? Will you trust me? 
with your money? Will you trust me with your time? Will you trust me with your life? I could take you to the spot where I stood beside the sea, and God just... But it was exactly what I needed. Because what I needed more than anything was for God to awaken in me that what was happening that my anxiety was a reflection of my lack of trust and my worry about what to do, a reflection of, of my subconscious thinking, maybe even conscious thinking, hey, in this situation, I know better than God. I'm going to try and fix this my way. Who was in control? Self was in control. Who was at the centre? Self was at the centre. And God says, no. No. Understand, when self is at the centre, you are sowing the seeds of your own un doing. And you might think that not trusting in God isn't a particularly bad sin. It's not like I was committing adultery or murdering anybody. In fact, why was God on my case about that? Why? Because in God's world it's really serious. The Bible calls it idolatry. When you put something or someone else in the place where God should always, always be. And so my anxious thoughts, my worrying days, what does that do? That consumes us from the inside out. To live that way is to sow the seeds of our own undoing. I'm asking you this morning, has your story connected with God's story that self must bow to Jesus? Suddenly some of you are wishing you hadn't come this morning. I know how you feel. Doing your own thing will be your own undoing. And then finally, Do you know God's story? The transformation of God's deliverance. We heard it last week with Sally. We heard it this week with Liz. We're going to hear it again in the weeks ahead. We're going to hear it in our small groups this uh, coming week about Paul. We're going to be thinking about sharing in our small groups the next time that that we meet. Is it real? God's transformation in your life day by day. Personally, Do you know what it is to be rescued from the powers that are destroying this world? Do you know what it is to be certain that you will stand in this world that is passing away? Do you know what it is to be sure that when all else fails in Christ, you shall remain? When all is over, you in Christ shall just be beginning. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Do you know the story? To know the end of the story brings such freedom, doesn't it? To know the end of the story is such a fantastic way to live. The thrill of being his design, the truth of our own destruction, the transformation of his deliverance. This is God's story. Is it your story? Is it my story?